One of the greatest verses of hope found in all of Scripture is found in what I believe, sweetheart, is one of your favorite verses of Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, uh, it's on page 1005 in the Bibles in front of you. The Scripture says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You might be going through a hard time now, but listen, look at me. Better times are coming. Better times are coming. That verse reminds us of one of the most important truths in the Christian life. And that is this. We are not home yet. Did you hear me? We are not home yet. While we wait to go home, we need to remember that we are living in a world that is under a curse. As a result of sin's curse, there's a whole lot of groaning, a whole lot of suffering, and a whole lot of turmoil going on in the world today. And in the midst of all that groaning, in the midst of all that turmoil, it's easy for you and I to become depressed, disappointed, disillusioned, and discouraged, and maybe you want to even just give up. But if there's one thing that today's Bible verses are going to teach us is that our walk with the Lord Jesus requires diligence. Say diligence. Diligence. Diligence means maintaining a steady, earnest, and energetic activity. That means you got to stay after it, okay? You got to stay connected. You got to stay plugged in. You got to stay busy doing what the Lord has called you to do. Diligence is the opposite of giving up. And we as believers are called to be diligent. And so today, God speaks about the struggles that are going on within us as well as the struggles that are going on all around us today. Paul shares three areas of life where we see groaning, hard times, turmoil in a devastated world. So let's take a look together uh, back to Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it to hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors 
with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen, that hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance or with diligence. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do, not we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The first groaning I want you to see this morning is the fact that all of creation is groaning. That word groans in verse 22 means to sigh. I want everybody to sigh this morning. Here's what a sigh looks like. Ready? One, two, three. Right? Creation is sighing. Texters and Facebookers use the abbreviation SMH to verbalize a sigh. Who knows what SMH means? Shaking my head. Ready? Shaking my head. Groaning carries the image that we're under a burden. And it's just so heavy that all we want to do is get out from under that burden. This is the image that is used in the Bible to describe creation. Now, I'm a question kind of guy. Whenever God gives me a passage of Scripture, I'm one to always ask a lot of questions. And so I ask three questions about, the, about creation groaning. For instance, why? Why would creation be groaning? Well, let's look in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. You see, creation, all of creation, came under the curse, not by its own doing, but because of the sin of Adam. Way back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, the Bible says, Then Adam, to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are. And to dust you shall return. You see, because Adam chose to rebel against God, all of creation is now in chaos. That's why creation is experiencing groaning. The second question I asked was, well, how? How has creation expressed this groaning? 
verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. That verse illustrates that creation is sighing and struggling like a woman in labor. I've never gone through labor personally, but uh, I've understood that it's not something that I would want to go through. Uh, so it's an unpleasant sighing, amen? The results of Adam's curse on creation are plain to see. Earthquakes, thorns, deadly animals, poisonous snakes, poisonous plants, crime, violence, death. So we see that creation is groaning because it's going through a lot of struggles. But even under the curse, even in the midst of pain, all creation still lifts its voice to God in praise. Just listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, Stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills. Fruitful tree and all cedars. Beasts and all cattle. Creeping things and flying fowl. Kings of the earth and all peoples. Princes and all the judges of the earth. Both young men and maidens. Old men and children. Let them all praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth in heaven. So even in the midst of pain, creation still celebrates and praises God. My third question was this. What does creation expect to get from all of its groaning? What does it expect to get from all of its groaning? Uh, look in verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now take a look in verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Those verses tell us that the creation expects to be delivered from the curse. The creation expects to be delivered from all of these horrible events going on. That word expectation in verse 19, it brings to mind the image of a person stepping on their tiptoes, trying to look, expecting. I'm reminded of Zacchaeus, that wee little man before he climbed in the tree, and he was up on his tiptoes, and he was trying to get a glimpse of Jesus as Jesus came down the road. Like that, creation yearns for that time when it will be, in fact, delivered. Delivered from the ravages of the curse of sin. But I want you to think about this. Think about the world. Think about all of creation. All of it's residing under the curse. But you know, there's still great beauty out there in the world, isn't there? It's amazing. I recall seeing the breathtaking Rocky Mountains for the first time. I mean, that'll, that'll just floorboard you. I remember seeing some photos of, that Miss Joan posted on Facebook of the sunsets in Montana and the mountains in South Dakota. 
I think of the gorgeous flowers that Miss Frances brings for us uh, Sunday after Sunday. I think about the large variety of the plant kingdom and the large variety of the animal kingdom. Now what I want you to do is I want you to try to imagine for a moment the most beautiful natural sight that you've ever seen in your life. The most beautiful natural sight you've ever seen in your life. You got it? Nod your head if you got it. All right? Now, I want you to, with that image in mind, I want you to remember that that incredible sight that you got in your mind right now is marred by sin. Now try to imagine how glorious, how spectacular, how wonderful, how beautiful that same sight is going to be when the curse of sin is lifted off of creation. Oh, it's going to be spectacular. It's going to be incredible. You see, according to verse 21, when Jesus died on the cross to redeem sinners, he also said that he was going to redeem the sin-cursed world. God's word clearly tells us that at some point in the future, God is going to recreate, he's going to remake, he's going to perfect all things, including the heavens above and the earth below. One day, there's going to be no more stars or, or solar systems that will burn out. One day, all the planets above and all the worlds beyond will be remade and created anew. Think about what it will mean to have a universe full of living planets, spectacular stars, and solar systems. Man, our finite minds cannot even imagine what that will mean. We can't even begin to imagine the glory. Imagine the beauty. One day earth is going to pass away. And God's going to create a new earth. And there will be no more earthquakes. There will be no more volcanoes. No more hurricanes. No more tornadoes. No more disasters. No more destruction. No more drought. No more disease. No more decay. No more death. One day, the shackles are going to fall off. And all of creation will no longer groan but instead will rejoice. And even the rocks are going to cry out, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Along with creation, the Christian also groans. The Christian also groans. Look with me for a moment at the Christian's agony in verse 23. Not only that, but we... We also, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our, get this, our body. See, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit moved in. When you got saved, 
the Holy Spirit moved in. And when he moved in, he began this process of helping you to see sin like God sees sin. When you see sin like God sees sin, it begins to make a difference in your life. As a result, we begin to recognize sins that we commit. We begin to recognize sins that other people commit. So if sin doesn't bother you, friend, if sin doesn't cause you a problem, is it, if it doesn't break your heart, you've got some serious spiritual problems. If you can witness sin and not be affected by it, something is wrong. And you need to clear that up today. If sin bothers you, good. It should, amen? It should bother us. It should also remind us that when we came to Christ, this old flesh didn't get saved. I still have problems with sin. I still have problems with this old flesh. My flesh didn't get saved. My flesh is still as corrupt, wicked, and sinful as it's always been. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said about his problem with the flesh? Last chapter in chapter 17, and verse, or chapter 7 and verse 18, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. This is the super Christian. This is the super missionary, the apostle Paul. He said, Nothing in my flesh dwells anything good. For to will is present in me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, that I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that's what I practice. So even the great apostle Paul had this problem with the flesh. Has there ever been a time in your life when you just wished you were free from this flesh? Perhaps a reoccurring sin, a reoccurring problem, a reoccurring spiritual distance from God, and you said, I have had it. I am so tired of this. And you just wish that you could be outside of the flesh? I mean, can you imagine what kind of blessing it would be to never again have a wicked thought? Wow. Can you imagine how awesome it would be to never again commit a single wicked deed? Can you imagine how cool it would be to never again have a sinful desire? Or ungodly lust? See, God's children groan. That's the Christian's agony. But there's good news. Because we don't only, only look backward and we don't always look to what I'm battling today. I'm also looking forward to what's coming. The Christian's anticipation, look in verse 24. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, with diligence. Paul says that we're saved by this hope. What in the world does he mean by that? Well, you need to know that Bible hope 
is vastly different than worldly hope. They're night and day. When people use the word hope now, they're kind of saying, I wish I could have this. Or, I want that. I hope I can get it. But Bible hope, Bible hope is a deep, settled knowledge that's grounded in the promises of God. And if God promised it, it's as good as done. That's what Bible hope is. It's the absolute conviction that we who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to be changed. We're going to be changed from this sinful body that we have now into the beautiful image of Christ that we shall be. How do you know, Bill? Because the Bible tells me so. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 49, the scriptures say, And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the, for the, de the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. See, one day, the body of the child of God is going to be recreated. Life is going to be perfected. Life is going to be totally different than what it is now. Imagine life with no more cancer. Imagine life with no more childhood diseases. Imagine life with no more suffering, no more pain, no more sin, no more crime, no more evil, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. Those things simply won't exist. That's life. That's life. And one day, whether it be by the undertaker or the uppertaker, amen, God's going to take this sinful body and this sinful body's going to breathe its last and I'm going to be remade into the beautiful image of my Savior. I hope you have the biblical hope of that yourself. Until that day comes, I struggle. Until that day comes, I strain. Until that day comes, I groan. But it isn't just creation that's groaning. And it's not just the Christian that's groaning. Our heavenly comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, is also groaning with us. You see, this comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, he sustains us. Look in verse 26 in the very first part. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. I need help in my weaknesses. This verse tells us that as we travel through this harsh world, the Holy Spirit's going to come alongside me. He's going to help me. He's going to lift me up when I'm down. He's going to put me back together when I'm broken. And he's going to help me with my burdens. What burdens, Bill? Well, maybe you don't have burdens like I do, but because I still live in this fleshly body, man, I got a lot of burdens. 
just the burdens of living in the flesh, living in this weak and sinful and corrupted body. Man, that's a burden. And the Spirit of God helps us to carry that burden. See, the Comforter knows your tendency toward evil, and he helps us. The Spirit of God knows that we are prone to wander, and he helps us. The Spirit of God knows that we grow weary in doing good. And he helps us. Friends, we are weak and we are sinful. But God, through his Spirit, strengthens us so that we're able, by his help, to carry on for the glory of God. But not only does the Comforter sustain us, we also see that the Comforter speaks for us. Look there in verse 26 again toward the end. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. You ever gone to God and you didn't have a clue what to say? I've been there. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart's knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So Paul is using prayer as a great illustration of how the Spirit helps us. He says that because of our sins and our propensity toward evil, we're just not able to pray like we're supposed to. Because our natural drift is toward evil and sin, there's, it's almost impossible for us to pray in a way that's perfectly consistent with the will of God. We need help. And the Spirit helps us. The Spirit, who is God, who knows the will of God, and He knows what's going on inside of you too. Amen. He knows what's going on in here. And he takes those flawed and misguided prayers and he straightens them out. He straightens them out and he tells the Father what's really going on in here. Friend, listen, that's a bigger blessing than I can describe for you today. For God himself to communicate through the Spirit and speak to the Father through us. It's amazing that he would be willing to do that. I mean, who among us knows the perfect will of the Father in every single situation? None of us do. I mean, who among us knows how to pray about everything that you come across? None of us do. Who knows the mind of God but God himself? The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God because he is God. So while creation groans to be free from the curse and while Christians groan to be free from these bodies we live in, the Spirit of God groans to try to align our lives with God's will. You got a comforter. You got a friend that wants to help you Stay in the will of God. That's why he takes such an active role in everything we do. 
He's involved in all you do. But you know, whoever said that this walk of faith was easy, lied. It's just not easy. But I will say that even though it isn't always easy, it is never impossible. Because we have the comforter. We have God who has come alongside us to give us the direction we'll need if we'll just yield to his lead. Will we struggle? Yep. Will we groan while we're here? Yep. Will there be times when we fail? Yep. Will there be times when we feel like quitting? Yep. But in those times, we just have to remember that we have a, the Spirit of God within us to enable us to remain diligent, to remain committed as we travel to our better home. So I want to say to you this morning, happy homecoming. But in doing so, I want to ask a question. Are you looking forward to your heavenly home? Are you looking forward to your heavenly home? If you are, are you prepared to go? You see, home is a prepared place for prepared people. You can't go to the prepared place if you're not a prepared person. Have you given your life to Christ? Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Have you followed through in believer's baptism? That outward expression of what's going on inwardly? Has the Lord been speaking to you about being a missionary? Has the Lord been speaking to you about maybe being in the ministry? During this invitation, I want you to listen to the Spirit. Listen to Him. The one who dwells within you. The one who wants the very best for you. And whatever He's telling you, my prayer for you is you'll be obedient to his lead. Let me pray for you. Father God, we praise you and we thank you so much for this precious gift that you've given us in the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I almost want to apologize for my sin that upon this horrible curse upon creation. forward to that curse being lifted 